Welcome. Uh, thank you guys for clicking on this link. Hopefully this video will not be too terribly long and hopefully what it will serve is just kind of to, um, I guess, whet your appetite a little bit to really dig into this very important topic of textual criticism. And what we're really trying to do here is not really dig deep into that uh, specifically, but we're gonna look at essentially two different categories. Uh, one, which would be the, the text that we looked at today and the ending of the Gospel of Mark. And so those are two very large texts that we're questioning whether or not they should be in scripture. And so we'll look into that. And then we'll also look into Mark chapter one, verse 41, that Braden's gonna kind of detail for us. Uh, but the whole hope of this video, the whole goal of this is really to kind of lay a foundation of understanding of how we got our scriptures today and, and really whether or not we can be confident in those scriptures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The question is, can we be certain that the text we have now is is what the original manuscript said mm -hmm. and so it's the te textual criticism is is the exploration of that process and the the years and years past of the transmission of the text basically saying in this whole process has the text of the original been actually preserved yeah and, and can we trust that today in our english texts yeah I mean, it's, it's been almost 2,000 years, so you got to think anything that's written uh, right now, do we think that we're actually going to have that preserved in 2,000 years? Do you think people are actually going to care about it in 2,000 right, years? Right. And the beauty of this is that it was something that was cared about, and it's something that changed the, the foundation of the world pretty much. Yep. Uh, and so that's why it was preserved and that's how it was preserved. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. Brandon, show us a little bit about Mark 1. So yeah. we'll look at Mark 16 later, but yeah. tell us a little about Mark 1. Before I jump into Mark 141, the thing I want to suggest is that these longer texts that Aaron mentioned, the, the ending of Mark and, you know, the text that Hart just preached on, uh, John 7 through 8, these are not the norm for textual criticism. In other words, they're not just tons of these variants all over the New Testament of paragraphs here. Oh, should we add this paragraph or should we subtract it? Or, or what's the original reading? We don't need to panic because most of the variants are actually either the addition of a word or the omission, which is just mm -hmm. leaving a word out. The tenses of a word, very minuscule things that aren't, necessarily the biggest deal. So the instance of Mark 141, Jesus is approached by a leper and the leper wants Jesus to heal him. Some manuscripts early and reliable suggest that Jesus was moved in anger. Anger was his response to the leper. Others suggest that Jesus was moved with compassion. We're going to pull up the comparison side by side and you'll see in the NIV they suggests that it's most likely that Jesus was indignant, whereas the, the ESV committee concluded he was compassionate. So this is just a, a small example of why the whole topic is very important, mm -hmm. because you see, okay, while no major New Testament doctrine is being altered because of this variant, you still are studying the person of Christ and his character. So was he actually angry or was, mm -hmm. was he actually 
compassionate in this instance. Not only is it interesting, but it's also necessary. Um, it's something that we shouldn't just push on the back burner. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, and the reason why it's necessary is because as Christians, what we what we believe about Scripture is what we believe about God, because. Mm -hmm. God has revealed himself to us through scripture. It says that in the beginning of, of Hebrews in chapter one. And, and so as, as Christians, what we believe is that the original words of the New Testament, words written by those men, uh, were actually inspired by God. Not, not transcribed by God, but they, they were influenced in a spiritual way to, to write those words down. And so God has sovereignly inspired those words to be written down. And what he's done is he's preserved that word for us to be able to read it today. And that's the whole point of, of textual criticism. So that's, that's why it's important. And that's why we're looking at it today. Mm -hmm. the, the goal of the whole process is to get our text today as close as possible to the original manuscript because the original manuscript is what God actually inspired. It's not the ESV or yeah. the King James or, or any of these modern translations, which happen to be very accurate. Uh, however, it's the original text that the Lord inspired. So we, yeah. wanna, we want to pay homage, for lack of a better yeah. term, to the original text. Yeah, and, it, and it's also important to note that not every word in your Bible has a textual variant. Like, that's, that's not the case. There is uh, a professor that we had in, in Greek who uh, told us that he didn't tell us this in Greek. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, professor that, that we both had at CIU, he was a Greek professor, and he said that whenever somebody asked, how sure should I be about the scripture that I have in my hand of it being the inerrant word of God? And he said, well, you should be about 99.99% sure. And that is, although you're like the pessimist and you're saying, what about that 0.1%? Well, that's those textual variants that, that Braden just point out, pointed out to us, that there's, there's differences in how you might kind of understand the scenario of the passage, but it doesn't change anything about the doctrines. There's, there's not a single textual variant that changes the core doctrines of uh, our faith and so right, right. For, so for instance there's not a textual variant saying okay we're either saved by grace through faith mm -hmm. or we're saved by works yeah you know that 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 would be a major major issue yeah we don't have anything like that a yep. lot of them like we said are very minuscule very one word tense yeah 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 so with that being said let's look at the two big passages uh, in question. So first, let's look at Mark 16 and the end of that. And so give you some background to uh, that variant ending of 9 through 20. Right before this is the climax of the gospel story, which is Jesus uh, resurrecting from the dead. And so Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, come to the tomb and they see that it's empty. They're approached by an angel and he says that, that Jesus isn't here and he, and he tells them not to be afraid. But then it goes on in verse 8 and it says, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. 
And then if you have a hard stop right there, it, it doesn't seem like it's a very good conclusion to the story. Yeah. The, the greatest story ever told, it seems like it's not over yet. Right, right. right. It just seems very unnatural. And what, what is most likely is that the scribes, as they were copying the text, they they realized probably, hey, I know a lot more to the story than this part right here. And as if anyone who knows yeah. the end of the story, th they felt compelled to add something that they knew that wasn't there. And so there's that natural inkling to contribute to this amazing message that was just told mm -hmm. in the previous pages. And, and that's probably what we see here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that the Greek in this passage in Mark, it's just not... It's just not coherent with the rest of the Greek within the the Gospel of Mark, and and it's actually and pretty style. Yeah, style. So one of the styles of uh, the Gospel of Mark is for those hard stops to happen, mm -hmm. and then something to immediately happen right after it. And that was just his style. He would just tell us tell a quick story. This happened, okay, and then immediately after that, this mm -hmm. happened. Hard stop. Immediately after that, this happened. Mm -hmm. And so this was in style with with Mark's writing style is for that hard stop to be there. It's kind of understood by the readers to understand that the story is continuing through us, through the church. And so that's what these scribes kind of did is they they throw in their own version of the Great Commission. And then really where it messes with our, our key doctrines is in verse 18. So 17 and 18. But in verse 18, it says that they will pick up uh, serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. And so the the issue is is not just that these people added to the inspired word of God, but that their additions actually it, it's not founded in any other text within all of scripture. And so that's why we can say with confidence that this variant does not belong in scripture. Now let's jump to, to John 7, 53 through 8, uh, 11, and the passage that we looked at today. And so to kind of give you some background here within the context, it, if you just ripped this passage out and you just read from John 7, 52 and then just jump right down into John 8 12 it makes sense like the story is not broken in any way shape or form it actually makes sense for John to continue his story of Jesus being at the Feast of Booths and then now telling the story about being the light of the world to the crowd that he was teaching to and so it, it makes sense but it also to the scribes that threw this very in here was that they believe that this was a true historical event and we believe that it was a true historical event that actually happened but it wasn't something that john included in his gospel but knowing that it actually happened like Braden said earlier, the scribes felt compelled to, to kind of put this somewhere. And so some tried to force it into the Gospel of Luke. They realized that it, it didn't fit there. And then they tried to put it in a different place. And, and John, it doesn't fit there. And so they, they thought that it might fit right here. With it being right here, it, it doesn't necessarily add or really take away from anything within 
the Gospel of John. But what they what they thought was that this was an amazing story of Jesus's compassion on those who were broken, downtrodden, or ostracized from the public, and that Jesus willingly would step in and be side by side with them, not not condoning their sin, um, but also in the same vein trying to redeem them from that sin, to bring them out of it and, and into a life of righteousness. And that shows the compassion of Christ. However, we would be amiss if, if we said that if we took this passage that is clearly not in any of the earliest manuscripts, if we took this passage and ripped it out of the Bible, then we would be at a loss of Jesus's compassion. Like we would, we would be missing something. That's not true. In fact, all of scripture being God-breathed is given to us so that we can know all that we need to know about who God is and what he has done on our behalf. And, and Jesus's greatest act of compassion is seen on the cross. Mm. So, yeah. so I, think it's, I think it's unfair to say that either of these passage, passages uh, belong in scripture but only one of the passages actually is affirmed by the rest of Scripture in the, the content that actually exists there. And so that would be John 8. And that, that's why we wanted to spend some time on it uh, this morning in our video. And that's why Hart preached on it today was to look at the truths within it, but also understand that these two texts aren't necessarily inspired by God. Uh, and, and we should, we should be okay with that because there's variations within the manuscripts that cause them to fall into an English translation. It then becomes a part of tradition that these English translations were circulated throughout all the churches that, that spoke English. King James version includes these passages. And so it just kind of becomes the norm that these passages exist and they're the word of God. And then once people start examining it, even further, they come to realize, no, these passages actually shouldn't be in our Bibles. And that's why they've bracketed them so that they can bring our attention to the fact that they're not actually the inspired word of God. Yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty yeah. much it. There is one passage that comes to mind in Second Peter 1.3 regarding this whole topic of textual criticism and, and what is included in the original, what is not inspired. We know that his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So out of God's grace, we have been given through these manuscripts, um, God graciously preserving this beautiful gospel message that is clear, that is not lacking in anything. There are certain variations of, of wording and, and here and there, but we do have to keep in mind that no New Testament doctrine is altered by textual variation, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Dr. Michael Kruger is an evangelical textual criticism scholar, and he, he, he says, quote, When all the dust settles in these debates about the New Testament text, the essential message of the New Testament remains the same. It hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. So while this is an important topic to be aware of, especially from, you know, the devil loves to bring chaos in this, in this area of, of reasoning <coughs> and, and academics, we, we shouldn't be fearful because God has graciously preserved his word.
Yeah. And and we should not take it for granted. Yeah. Thank you guys again so much for clicking into this link. We hope that you found it beneficial. We're going to have some other links to some resources that we used in order to kind of formulate what we wanted to say. Um, but those are the, the scholars that you really want to dig into and you really want to see what they have to say. God bless and hope y'all have a great week.